Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, maybe find Acts chapter 16 as well. Philippians 1 and Acts 16. You sit there with a box of thank you notes, a pen, a coffee table book upon which to bear down, and you pause, and you pause, and you pause. You're writing thank you notes. You really are grateful, but you just don't know exactly how to say it. It needs to be personal, not fill in the blank. It needs to feel real and not rote. So paralyzed by the weight of the task before you, you just pause. Nicole Viola Bennett says the main reason people fail to send thank you notes isn't so much a lack of time or motivation. It's not knowing exactly what to say or how to say it. In an article entitled The Lost Art of Writing Thank You Notes, Bennett advises her daughter on an effective outline for the thank you note. She tells her daughter, first offer a greeting, then say thanks for the gift, and then say something you like about the gift, what's best, or how you plan to use it, and finally say something about the giver. I love you. I, I hope to see you soon. You mean much to me. Perhaps Paul... The apostle was the prince of writing thank you notes. At least he writes a wonderful thank you note in the book of Philippians. Paul does not pause. Paul says thanks. The book of Philippians is, in essence, a friendly thank you note from Paul to the most generous church of all the churches that he began. Well, the Macedonian church, the church Philippi. I know that waiting for today was much like waiting for Easter Sunday. In fact, I'd say outside of Easter Sunday and the Christmas Eve service, I suppose this is everyone's favorite service. You could hear that anticipatory chatter in the hallways this morning, the special music that Dan composes, the way Janice weaves these piano pieces together just for today, and now Parker, the guitar guru, he was strumming with extra emotion today. Did you feel it in the guitar today? Yes, Stewardship Sunday, a favorite of you all. <laughs> of course, I'm being a little bit facetious. Paul is sometimes facetious. He's not in Philippians because no one wants to hear the pastor preach about finances. And yes, we do take a pause today, a pause from our study in Romans to ponder Philippians 1.5, the theme verse for our stewardship this year, grateful for your giving. Dan wondered this week if we'd need to throw in an extra service. There was so much anticipation. I assured him we probably could fit in everybody in the two services that wanted to stew over stewardship with me for about 20 minutes. The reality is a lot of God's Word is devoted to stewardship. The New Testament speaks about giving more than any other topic other than salvation, Jesus told 38 parables, and 16 of those parables dealt with the spiritual use of material possessions. One out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, or Luke deals with money, material things, and possessions. 
If what we do with our finances matters that much to God's Word, mentioned over a thousand times in the New Testament, it certainly should be important to us. We will never know the real joy of being a child of God until we know the joy of giving to His church. We will never know the real joy of being a child of God until we know firsthand, personally, the joy of giving to His church. Empowering His people to be salt and light into a decaying and dark world. The longer you live life, the more you realize the only thing you really get to keep is that which you give away. Money invested in a meaningful way continues to give us joy long after we've given it away. While the money we spend on all the stuff crumbles and cracks and rusts and rots and evaporates and tears and tarnishes and shrinks and corrodes and always eventually goes kaput. About 500 years ago, the father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, developed the idea of three conversions. He says the first conversion occurs when we mentally give assent to the lordship of Christ Jesus. The reformer said, secondly, the second conversion happens when our hearts, when the love and passion for Christ takes root in our hearts. Then Luther, Luther said the third and final conversion on the Christian walk takes place in our pocketbook for a transformation has truly happened when our finances reflect God and God's people, the church to be our priority. Unfortunately, according to financial managers, the way that Christians manage our money is not all that much different than the way the church manages, the, the way the world manages the world's money. Put another way, Christians really don't give any more of their income to their church than unbelievers do give to other charities. Our greatest joy is never found in getting. It is always found in giving. Well, Philippians were givers. They were Paul gold medal givers. Well, turn over to Acts chapter 16. I'll remind you how this church began, this great giving church. Paul is traveling on a missionary journey with his companions. He's trying to get to Bithynia to preach, but the Spirit is leading as they go. And the Spirit of Jesus does not permit them, Acts 16, 7. As they path through Mysia and then to Troas, during a dream in the night, Paul has a vision. I always have pictured the guy waving his hands. Hey, over here, come over here and help us. Well, the call is for Paul and company to come to Macedonia. The call comes in the middle of the night. Luke records it this way in Acts 16, 9 and 10. Come over to Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Philippi's in Macedonia. And when he had seen the vision, immediately Luke writes, we got up and go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul and his companions at last arrive at Philippi, the leading city, the district of Macedonia. As was Paul's practice, most likely he sought a synagogue on the Sabbath to teach the rabbi Jesus was a Christ. But in Philippi, there was no synagogue. It took 10 Jewish men in a city to form a synagogue, and there weren't even enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. So alternatively, 
Paul goes down to the riverside where the women gather at a place of prayer. The women are assembled for prayer, and Paul meets a lady by the name of Lydia, a well-to-do businesswoman who sells purple dye or purple fabrics. And as Paul preached Jesus, Luke tells us, Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Lydia says yes to Jesus. She's baptized. In fact, her whole family took the plunge into the gospel, and she became a good friend of the Apostle Paul, and Paul stayed there in her home with her family. Paul returns to the river again, preaching the gospel. But a slave girl who has a spirit of divination, a fortune teller who's making a fortune for a master, pesters Paul, following him around as the spirit within her shouted, these are bondservants of the Most High God showing you the way of salvation. These are bondservants of the Most High God showing you the way of salvation. She did this for days, and Paul becomes quite annoyed. I've preached through some difficult circumstances, but I'm happy to say as of yet, I've never had to duel with a demon during the delivery of the sermon, but Paul did. Perturbed, Paul turns to the demon and says, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. She was delivered from the demon that day. When her masters find she's no longer a demonic prophetess, thus no longer a prophet center, no more money to be made from the devil, they drug Paul and Silas to the magistrates. They remove their outer garment. They beat their backs with rods. They throw them into the inner prison and put them in the stocks. It's midnight, and Paul and Silas, verse 25, they are praying to God and singing hymns of praise as the other prisoners listening to these strange men who've been beaten with bloody backs singing hymns in the middle of the night. Now, I always imagined it happened on the fourth stanza of the hymn, you know, when the organ really bears down this earthquake. On the fourth stanza, they come to the fourth stanza, and there's an earthquake, a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison shakes. The doors are flung open. The chains fall from their arms. And the jailer is roused himself by the rumble of the earthquake. He sees the prison doors open. He draws his sword to commit suicide, knowing that his own life would be required because he's lost the prisoners. Paul cries out, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. The jailer rushes in with a flaming torch, falls down before Paul and Silas, these mysterious men who can actually make earthquakes. And he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the jailer was saved. And like Lydia's household, the whole household says yes to Jesus. They're all baptized. Eventually, the leaders of the city discover that Paul himself is a Roman citizen and they have made a terrible mistake and beating him and arresting him to cover up their own crime, they urge him just to leave the city. That's the way this generous church begins in Philippi. A lady who sells purple fabric, a demon-possessed girl who's set free, and a jailer and his family who joined the Jesus movement because they experienced a God who could shake the earth through the singing of a hymn. And they became the most giving church. 
I imagine Lydia, the seller of purple, a rare commodity, was a lady of great means. And Lydia did her part, and the jailer and his family did her part, and they all did their part. In Philippians 4, 15, Paul says, you've been supporting us from the very beginning. From the beginning of their faith, they became a most generous church. At times when other churches were unwilling or unable to assist him, Philippians 4, 15b, they gave. When he was in the nearby town of Thessalonica, the Philippians gave. And the Philippians joined the other churches of Macedonia in supporting the church in Corinth when Paul was preaching there. And they joined in the famine relief gift that we learn about as we read Paul's epistles. But here's the surprise we learn in 2 Corinthians 8. Their giving was not from, their generosity was not from their abundance of resources, but rather they gave, he says, this church from their poverty. He says that while they were afflicted and while they find themselves in deep poverty, they gave an abundance of joy generously. So Paul sits in prison awaiting a trial that results in his execution. Perhaps he's not sure, and he writes a thank you note. A thank you note to a church that had been so generous. Let's go over a bit of this gratitude we find in Philippians. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace to you. Grace is God's gift that comes at Christ's expense. And shalom, the peace of God, he says. And then 4 and 5. Always offering prayer with my joy and every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to look at that word participation. It may be translated partnership in your particular translation. That's our word for the title of the sermon today. Koinonia is the Greek word for participation or partnership or sharing together. We are sharing together. What he's saying to the Philippians is this. When you gave, you shared in the preaching of the gospel. When you gave, you became a partner in all that the church was doing. When you gave, my words became your words and our ministries became your ministries. In fact, he says it again in chapter 4, 15, he says, they were participating and the giving and receiving during the ministry. And in their poverty, when no other church did so, in the midst of their affliction, they gave. In fact, as you look at the words that Paul uses for giving, there aren't financial words. In fact, I, I looked through his letters. He calls giving grace. He calls it like here a partnership. He does that in 2 Corinthians and in Romans 2. He calls it ministry. He calls it abundance. He calls it blessing. He calls it a good work. He calls it the yield of righteousness, and he calls it fruit in Romans chapter 15. You see, for Paul, one's gift was connected to one's heart, to what one believed, to how one lived. You show me a faith that does not impact your finances, and I'll show you a faith that's a fake. You see, Paul's in prison. The church is in Epaphroditus with a gift of the apostle. Turn over to chapter 4, Philippians, verse 10. Philippians 4, 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, for now at last you revived your concern for me. It's a language of horticulture. For Paul in prison, it was springtime all over again because the church had been so generous in 
missions and ministry. Don't get me wrong, Paul says, verse 11. I'm doing okay. I've learned to get along in meager means because I have, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We all memorize that verse. We don't know it in the concept of stewardship. Nevertheless, you have done well. Here's our word, verse 14. And the koinonia, you have shared in the gospel. He's saying, you have helped me. When I was in Thessalonica, you helped me, he says. Paul views the gift of the church at Philippi as a spiritual investment credited to their account, verse 17, investment that will pay dividends, rich dividends for them. I received, verse 18, from Epaphroditus, the gift you sent me. It's a sweet aroma. The, the image here is from the book of Genesis where we have the burning of the sacrifice in Genesis 8, and God breathes it in as a sacrifice. Oh, you remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, that God says to him, your sacrifice, your gift giving, your financial gift has come up as a sacrifice for me to enjoy. Go break to the needy, sweet charity's bread, for giving is living, the angel said. And must I be giving again and again my peevish and pitiless answer ran? Oh, no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give to the master stops giving to you. Oh, very quickly, I will give you some guidelines for giving. I'll do this very fast. First of all, give to God first. He always in the Old Testament expects the first fruits. Our tithe check ought to be our first check, not our last check or our leftover in fact, it says in the book of Nehemiah that they may bring the first fruits of the ground, the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord and bring to the house of the Lord the firstborn of our cattle, the firstborn of our herds. Throughout Scripture, God gets the first. Secondly, give systematically. Set it aside on the first day of the week as part of your worship. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, each of you put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections are made when I come. Do it systematically, not sporadically. Thirdly, give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Sometimes when we're learning to give, we first do it out of obedience. But what you learn as you grow older is it is the greatest joy you have as a believer is to participate, to koinonia, to fellowship in the ministries, 2 Corinthians 9. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. The fourth thing I'd say is give regardless of your circumstances. The Philippians gave, Paul says, out of their poverty. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given by the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, no, beyond their ability, they gave on their own accord, begging us, urging us, for there's our word, the koinonia, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, for the participation in the gospel. Your church, her missions and ministries and the proclamation of the gospel only possible because a school teacher, a bank teller, a custodian, and a coach, a caterer, 
all join us in doing their part with their tithe. What Paul is saying is this. The Philippians gave, and not once, not twice, but three times, he says their giving is participating in the gospel. It is sharing koinonia. It is a partnering in the gospel. So as you give, you are partnering with all that we do in the name of Christ. Partner, Paul says. Last week, I gave the children 10 dimes each, and I was trying to teach them to tithe, and I said, when you leave church, you'll find an offering plate, and I know we give different ways. It's, it's part of your worship, whether you give it online or text it during the service or put it in the offering plate. It doesn't matter how you give or automatic bank draft. It's all a sacrifice and part of our worship. Giving has always been part of our worship. But I, I wanted the kids to participate in that, so I gave them each a sack with 10 dimes, and I said, on your way out, put one of the dimes in the offering plate, and that's a tithe. God, as you go through life, he'll give you the dollar, you give him back the dime. That's the way it works. That's obedience. Find joy in And so all the kids, well, one kid wrote a letter and put it in the offering plate. The child's very young, says on here, Dear God, thank you for the M-O-N-Y. Dear God, thank you for the money. Meaning, thank you, God, for the ten dimes. And on the back side, here she wrote, Dear God, here's the money. Wow. God, thank you for the dollar. Dear God, thank you for the money. And then on the reverse side, God, here's the money. Here's my tithe. You can preach tithing for a decade to adults, and they don't get it like the child got it. God, thank you for the 100%, the child is saying. On the reverse side, in broken English and spelling, and God, here is the money, the tithe. A thank you note. Philippians is a thank you note. I thank the Philippian church for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These have been very difficult days economically for our nation. And you have been so faithful. And we need to finish strong this year. But you have been so faithful. And I know you'll continue to be faithful. So this year, we want to say to you, I thank God for your giving. Grateful for your giving. Grateful for, Paul would say, your participation, your partnership your koinonia, your sharing in all the things that we do in the name of Christ. Not giving this year from your abundance, I'm quite sure, but this year giving like the Philippian church from your need, from your poverty, and I know from your affliction. As pastor, representative of all the staff and all the ministries and all the committees and all that's done in the name of Christ here, we are truly, truly grateful for your giving. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for a church at First Baptist like the church at Philippi. A church that is generous. A church that's had the third conversion that's not only committed to Christ with head and heart, but also committed with the purse.
May we realize that out of obedience and really even out of joy, we, like the Philippian church, beg for the opportunity to participate in all the good things that God is doing for his kingdom. Whether it's a missionary in a foreign land or foster hope right here in our own city, whatever it is we're doing in the name of Christ, that we have gathered and participated in koinonia. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.